With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Five, four, three, two, one. Pod capers are go! Oh god, that's another epic intro. I really have got to cut down on these things. It's making the theme tune look bad. Oh jeez, just just cue the music. Just cue the music. Hello there, capers, and welcome to Pod Capers, the official podcast of a place to hang your cape. My name's Scott James Merridew, and this week we're talking about the many, many wonderful works of Jerry Anderson. But so I'm going to need a little bit of help with this because I think I'm pretty knowledgeable, Jerry Anderson. But have we got one person here at a place to hang a cape who is, I don't want to use the word expert. I want to use the word mega expert. It's Fred McNamara, ladies and gentlemen. Woo. Hello. Hello, Scott. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, listeners. Hello, everyone. Capers, thank you. Not just listeners, they're capers. Oh, God. Sorry, capers. Yeah. Learn the terminology, Fred. I'm so sorry, capers. I'm the one who came up with the term capers as well, so it's doubly bad. <gasps> you see, you see, he can't even remember oh. what's going on here. Behind the scenes is a mess, capers, trust me. But anyway, so, Fred, is it a fair assessment to say you're quite the fan of Jerry and Silver Anderson's work? Sometimes I like to think I've transcended the term fan and just gone just beyond into mega super ultra expert, as you hinted at earlier. But fan will do for now. I think for the purpose of this show, fan will it, it will do. It will suffice. For the sake of simplicity, fan will do, as you exactly. say. Exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, let's just talk about who Jerry Anderson and Sylvia Anderson were and the things they did. I think you're the best person to explain this. Okay. But now. Yeah. Oh, no, in like a couple of minutes. Yes, now. Okay. Well, Jerry and Sylvia Anderson were um, a pair of. Uh, film and TV producers who, throughout the 1960s, produced a long-running series of uh, puppet sci-fi puppet shows, which uh, uh, marionettes. Oh, Matt, see, even that, even now, you know more than I do, marionette. 
That's it. They produced. I'd rather know. <laughs> they produced around. Oh gosh, this is testing my knowledge now. I think around at least ten uh, individual TV shows filmed in something called Super Marionation, which is a future. Erds, yeah, Super Marionette, yeah, and Animation, which was a term devised by Jerry, I believe, to kind of match what um what he wanted to do in film because that was his big ambition he wanted to do film i believe and he but back then that was when he went to cinema for a film you saw it was filmed in like technicolor wonderscope super vision like all that stuff so it was his way of sort of making up for that because even though he did make i think he did make a handful of films but really just a handful of films he's more well known for making i know he definitely made two that i know that he was he was directly involved in what films? Uh, they, were the, they were the two Thunderbirds films. Thunderbirds are oh, Go yeah. and Thunderbirds yeah. 6. Exactly, yeah. He did make a crime drama in the, I think it was either late 50s or early 60s called Crossroads to Crime, which wasn't a puppet thing at all. It was a live action crime drama. But, a um, film with live action people? What madness is this? I know. And he did this before Stingray, before Thunderbirds, before all that stuff, I know. Um, I don't think it did all that well. I don't think it's got that reputable uh, history to it, but he dipped his toes in live action before Thunderbirds came along. But as you say, yeah, he did make, yeah, those two Thunderbird films. But beyond that film-wise, I don't think, I'm not sure if there was any other films he was involved with directly. Oh, I oh, know God, one yeah. film that he definitely wasn't oh, involved oh, oh, oh. in, and we will get to that at one point. But Oh, but... I know exactly what you mean. But oh. actually, I remember now, he did do one other film, a film called Journey to the Far Side of the Sun, which is another live-action show, uh, film, sorry. And that was um, a sci-fi thing. He made that around the time of, I think, Joe 90, The Secret Service, so the late yeah. late late 60s. I've not actually seen it. Um, What's but the that's... point of going to the far side of the sun? Let's go to the far side of the sun. Oh, it's more sun. What are they going to ah. find there? Ah, well, the plot is they find a doppelganger Earth, oh. I believe. That's about all I know of the film, though. The Mysterons were involved. But no, no, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Dun, dun, dun. So I think let's and let's start with, let's say, for argument's sake, his best known television series, Thunderbirds. Okay. Now, my... Exactly. My, it's, it's how to explain Thunderbirds. My dad grew up watching this show and then years later i grew up watching this show i loved this show when i was a kid and it's just it's got so much staying power even though it's yeah. with marionettes and it's so it's got a very shall we say uh 60s aesthetic mm. which actually just makes it even more fun to watch now because you're watching like this image of the future as imagined in the 1960s exactly it's, yeah. it's set in 2065 and it involves a special group called International Rescue, who seemingly have unlimited amount of financial resources to go around the world and start rescuing people from all sorts of natural and man-made disasters. Exactly. Superb, superb television. It was, it was, it was so, so brilliant because it's one of those things that I genuinely believe that kids and adults can like in equal measure because you know yeah. it's fun for kids but also it's got violence and explosions <laughs> and a guy with glowing yellow eyes which freaked me the hell out that was kind of like i think that was kind of the like point of thunderbirds back then a lot of tv shows back then like they were aimed at more family audiences weren't they because back then 
TV, like the actual physical TV sets, I think was something of an extravagance. Like, oh, not like it is now, where almost every digital device we have is basically a TV. Hmm. Back then, a TV was like this one-off thing that you only had in like the living room, and thus the whole family would con- congregate around it. It was only about like maybe... it's, it's only become like commercially available like ten years prior, and yeah, was, I don't was... think. Yeah, I don't think I don't think color TV came to the UK until the 1970s. I might be wrong. I don't want any historians whipping my what's it, but I think that we won't get historians it. on this show. Don't worry. <laughs> well, yeah, but I think that was kind of like one of the aspects of making Thunderbird such a family friendly show was that families all watch the TV because there was only ever one TV to watch, yeah. maybe. And it, what I like about what I liked about it is that at its heart, it was about a family. It was about yeah. It had featured, like, the patriarch, Jeff Tracy, who oversaw the whole operation, who, I believe, in, like, in the universe, was a former astronaut. And thus, his sons, both behind the scenes and, you know, in the show, were named after several well-known astronauts. There was the oldest, Scott Tracy, my favourite, guess why? (laughs) Uh, Virgil Tracy, uh, Alan Tracy, Gordon Tracy, and John Tracy. And they all had, they all pilot their, piloted their own individual vehicles, which were designed for a variety of scenarios. Like, for example, Thunderbird 4 was basically a submersible aqua thing gummy. I, I don't know the technical... A submarine. T- su- a submarine. That's when I think submarine, I think in like Red October. <laughs> I think it's too big. It's too, it's a bit more compact than that. <laughs> it is, yeah. And of Small course... Stingray. More than zero, yeah. And uh, Thunderbird 5 was their communication satellite, which one of them was stuck up with there for like most of the season. Occasionally they swap them around. Yeah. But that would be a really boring life. Just, just, just sitting up there in that station, waiting for a natural disaster to happen so you can phone your brothers and say, there's another natural disaster coming. Better get on that, guys. I- I'm going to go and watch some reruns on Mickey- Rick and Morty. Just... And for some reason, always wearing his uniform. Like, always. who's who's there to tell him, like, to notice that he's not wearing his uniform? Yeah. What's, what's he going to care? Who's going to get him and be like, oh, oh crap, i got to do a video call. Quick, get, get, get like, my top <laughs> half on. Just that's it. Get my little cap on, quick. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no like, day-night cycle in space. So, what a coincidence. Anyway. <laughs> and then we had, uh, then we had the uh, space vehicle piloted by... Oddly enough, the youngest, most inexperienced member, Alan Tracy. <laughs> Seems a bit weird, but he was very good at his job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there was Virgil Tracy, who I can't remember having a personality, but still. Oh, I'm, we'll I'm joking, that. I'm joking, I'm joking. Oh. He was my least favourite just because, I don't know. But he piloted Thunderbird 2, which was sort of like the... I don't know how best to explain it. The all-purpose vehicle that would pick up little uh, pods... Not little pods, big pods, big bu- big buddy pods of <laughs> things that would c- contain other vehicles. Like, for example, Thunderbird 4 or one of my favourite things, the mole. Guess mm-hmm. what the mole does? Goes underground. The pods are always massive, but the pod vehicles, more often than not, were like Diddy, weren't they? Yeah, it was, it was quite small, <laughs> yeah. And uh, then there was Thunderbird 1, which was... Again, I really don't know how to describe it. How would you describe Thunderbird 1? Thunderbird 1 is like the rapid response supersonic rocket of IR. It was the craft that was always designed to get to the danger zone first, Hmm. to assess the situation and report back to Tracy Island so they can work out, okay, what do we need? Do we need Thunderbird 2? Do we need Thunderbird 4? What do we need? So Scott gets there first. 
and he gives like a first-hand account. We're in the middle of the desert, so I don't think Thunderbird 4 will be necessary. (laughs) Exactly, that sort of thing, yeah. And of course, there was a great supporting cast. They had Lady Penelope, voiced by the co-creator Sylvia Anderson, who Mm. was their London espionage, glamorous, fact-finding spy person. And she was pretty damn cool. She became kind of an, kind of an icon in her own right. Sort of yeah. Her she, with Fab One and everything. Yeah, she and she, Parker and Brains have kind of become, I think, the most recognisable characters of the yeah. show. Brains was, weird, the, but... Brains was the engineer of the group. He was the one yeah. who came up with all the gadgets or scientific know-how that they needed. And Parker was Lady Penelope's butler, who was awesome! Because <laughs> you don't mess with Parker. Don't mess with Parker. But you're right, I mean, I mean, the Thunderbirds in and of themselves are very iconic, but I mean, yeah, yeah, they, individually they just sort of became their own sort of like, own icons. I mean, they've got such a staying power, such a legacy behind them. I mean, did you watch that advert years and years ago for bottled water? I think it was Drench. And all it is, is just brains dancing oh, yeah. to rhythm as a dancer. Yes, I remember that one, yeah. Have you seen? Have you seen? With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The more recent advert from Halifax. No. They've teamed up. They've teamed up with the people who made uh, the Thunderbirds 1965 Kickstarter project, mm-hmm. which was, for those who don't know, it's a project that made um, three new episodes of Thunderbirds in supermarination using like old um, audio dramas, like making new models and puppets and making like bringing the audio adventures to life, basically. But they were brought back to make this like brief advert for Halifax. Um, I don't know what the adverts are. About it sounds banking and maths. Oh, it's Ugh, a bit who cares? But yeah, Lady P and Parker just like get the star in the advert. Yeah, because why not? If they can get Top Cat, yeah. they can get Lady Penelope and Parker. Why yeah. not? And the Flintstones, yeah. And the Flintstones. And <laughs> oh god, our beloved cartoon characters of yesterday have been yesteryear have been just like used by a fucking <laughs> bank. What is the world coming to? Uh, makes you think who's next. Captain Scarlet should be next. Or maybe he shouldn't, actually. <laughs> considering considering all the stuff that Captain Scarlet gets up to, I'd say no. <laughs> and and every, every typical episode would be there's a disaster somewhere, maybe it was started by a person, maybe it was an accident, and International Rescue would go and find out what exactly was going on, and drama, and escapades, and explosions would ensue. So many explosions. Glorious explosions. 
Thunderbirds is to blame for Bayformers. Never say that. Never it's, say that. It's, it's kind of true. It's kind of true. Yeah, but the Thunderbirds <laughs> earned it explosions. Well, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, I mean, for God's sake, you put on a pot of coffee in a Michael Bay movie and it explodes. <laughs> Jeez. No. And of course, most of the uh, a, a good chunk of the accidents that occurred were because of the dastardly and villainy Hood. Dun, dun, dun. Fucking freaked yeah. me out as a kid because he's basically just this bold guy who hangs out in a temple who runs his. I, I say he runs a criminal empire. I've only ever seen one person in that criminal empire, and that's the Hood. Him. He runs more of an empire in the new Thunderbirds, which I'm guessing we'll get onto later. We'll get onto that later, because yeah. there'll be some new version. Because these are so. It's such a huge legacy that obviously they're going to continue in new formats. Yeah. And but in this in. All, I, what I like about uh, the Hood in the original series was that, I mean, aside from that, that he's got these freaky mind powers, like he can, <laughs> uh, he can like hypnotize people and brainwash people and make them like fall unconscious and stuff. And it sounds mm. really tame compared to what we have now, but there was just nothing like being a kid and watching this guy's just eyes just glow yellow and then something really creepy happens. It, was... it goes back. It goes back to the family appeal, I think, of having something that can appeal to younger people and having some kind of like darker things, like the hood's powers, to kind of hook in older viewers, doesn't it? Really? Yeah, and it was, it was very much like Doctor Who in that way, just sort of something that everyone can enjoy. But also, yeah. what I like about the hood is the fact that what was his dastardly goal? Did he want to take over the world? Did he want to? hold nations hostage no he wanted to get the designs and secrets of the thunderbirds so that he could sell them for millions sometimes he wanted to destroy the thunderbirds for some reason and well, then it... other times he went back to what just wanting like their <laughs> secrets yeah big, i mean in fact frankly if after all the time the thunderbirds have foiled his plots i'd want to destroy them too but yeah it's just like it was it was something as base as money but at the same time it makes a lot of sense because a lot of kid shows, even today, are just like doing these. When they're villains, they just like, just like I want to destroy the world. I want to destroy the Smurfs, <laughs> something like that. And this guy just wanted basically to commit, you know, sort of espionage and black market selling of illegal weapons and stuff. Okay, yeah. And this was in the goddamn sixties. This is brilliant. <laughs> I'm saying that was what it was like with 60s cult TV entertainment. Yeah. And uh, of course, we're forgetting one person, the person, the thing that tied the whole show together, in my opinion, Tintin. Not that Tintin. <laughs> not that. You're thinking uh, of this particular kind of Tintin. It's not that Tintin. It's. No. It's a. This Tintin is a lady. <laughs> and at first, she was sort of superfluous. She was just sort of like hanging around. She was like the daughter of their manservant, Carano. Mm. And who is the Hood's like half brother? <gasps> Gasp! But but uh, then it never gets touched upon really in the series. There's no fallout of it really. No, no, that they're related. Why? Because drama? Not really. <laughs> they get drama elsewhere. But uh, after uh, she's just sort of there for most of the series. But after a while. She starts having out of missions and becomes mm. not not necessarily a vital part of the uh, of the team, but definitely an intricate part, I would say. 
Yeah, Tintin basically has all these degrees in engineering, mathematics. She's brains is psychic in a way. She helps maintain the Thunderbird craft. But a lot of the time, when you see her in the show, she she either goes through a routine of either crying nonstop when one of the Tracys is in danger, chain smoking, making coffee, or being Jeff's secretary, in basically, a way. Basically, yeah. Or yeah. pining over and, Alan. And that as well, yeah. I never really appealed to Tintin when I first watched Thunderbirds, but nowadays, when I watch it back, actually, I can kind of appreciate her character a bit more, because like, she was one of the few characters who, like could express a range of emotions. Like, obviously, with these Supermarination shows, for all their wonderful wonderfulness, strong character development was never quite, like, there. It was all sort of surface-level goings-on. But Tintin is pretty much, I think, the only person on Tracy Island who can cry, can laugh, can be angry, can express joy, sadness, like, um, hope, desperation. She goes through all these sort of, like, emotions which like although it makes her sound like quite a annoying sort of character actually she's more in tune with her emotions and the rather static tracy boys in a way who are all very in, in the classic jeronson molds handsome square jaws all oh, i can't emit emotions because i'm a tough guy i need to fly my thunderbird i can't cry i've got a job to do sort of thing that's kind of what it's like looking back at thunderbirds now picking up on all, on all these little things that i didn't really see or appreciate when i was younger really and it all just goes back to like what you're saying about having this lasting appeal that you just want to keep on watching it no matter how old you get yeah i mean for me I mean, tintin is in one of my favorite episodes of all time the sun probe oh that's a good one there is a good one basically i can't remember the exact i think something's going towards the sun i think it's like a is it like a space shuttle or a satellite it- or it's a ginormous spaceship that's on a mission to collect a piece of the sun because science and as Rain ever, science. Well, sun science. Unsurprisingly, unsurprisingly, they run into trouble oh. and thus international rescue dash off and lend a hand and get in trouble themselves. Yeah, they nearly get fly into the sun, and it's a goddamn tense. If I had a lot of a lot of the episodes that I like, I've got like three episodes that now are down to be my favorites, and they're all quite tense ones. The other one is. One that uh, I think a lot of people like, uh, from what I can hear, it's uh, the Uninvited. Oh, okay, yeah. That which I basically know as the one with the pyramids, because it, <laughs> it's just things go from bad to worse. Scott Tracy's like goes out to the desert and he gets shot down by these fighter pilots. We don't really know where they're from. Well, from these pyramids, things we don't know who they are, and gets trapped in the pyramids, and then he has to deal with this crazy guy, and it's it. Then the pyramids blow up. It's a whole thing. And the other one that I really like is Move and You're Dead. Oh, okay. Guess, oh, do you not like that one? Um, I wouldn't immediately think of it when I was thinking of my favourite Thunderbirds episodes, weirdly. I don't think it's a bad episode, but I just wouldn't think of it as, like, my top three. Now, I don't know it's, it's, it's not a lot happens in it, but the little that does happen is so sort of tense. Basically... Yeah, uh, Alan yeah. and Grandma Tracy. Yeah, that was a grandma character. <laughs> uh, uh, Alan just won like a race thing, or, like a car race against these not very nice guys, and so mm. they like trap him on this bridge, strap these things to them. Uh, no, oh no, no, not on them. Basically, if they move even a tiny bit, the bridge they're on is gonna blow up or collapse yeah. or something, and they so they have to stay still. For the entire episode. And you think, oh, well, that's pretty easy to do with fucking marionettes. 
<laughs> but it is tense as hell. You they put like sweat on them and stuff. I know. And the, it's, a, it's. I was saying it's a it's a really nice touch on like the production part that they're able to convey that sense of like desperation that they're in. Yeah, because they, well, they never really showed, like, a facial animation, because obviously these marionettes, they can't. Occasionally they would swap out the heads and stuff if they need to give, like, a, a particular expression, like a pain expression mm. or something. But uh, with this one, it's all in the body movements. And you can see almost, like, the tension of not trying to move. It it's, is. It's, it's really one thing well done. not to move. It's another thing to try and not to move. Yeah, it's really well done. And at that point, also, Thunderbirds was, like... God, let, let me just do some counting. Hang on, okay, one, Events of Twizzle, Thunder Batch Boy, Fourth of All, Supercar, Fireball, Stingray, uh, Thunderbird. Thunderbirds was the seventh Super Marination, well, at least puppet show that they, that, like, Jerry's team had done at that point. So it's like, they probably got that art of trying to make a puppet express those kind of phys- physical, phys- phys- like, the physicality that we would do as humans, like, down to a fine art, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, I mean, uh, We've all seen Team America World Police. Yeah, and we all know that this is the sort of the show that they're sort of parodying for some reason, I don't know, when they did that. And they sort of yeah, made that... a joke about just basically just like at some scenes dragging the marionettes across the scene mm. and in really bad, uh, bad movements. And, re- and that's done on purpose. It's part of the joke. But here you don't see that. You don't see oh. cheap, sloppy movements. You see... It's it's an it's a true it's true artistry. It is how they yeah. make the move. And then they did the movie with Cliff Richard. Oh gosh, yes! So many people like this movie for some reason. I've never been able to pinpoint why. <laughs> it's, it's this is crazy. It, was, uh, it was the Thunderbirds Argo, and uh, I, 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 I swear I've watched this movie. The only bit I can remember, though, is like the scene where Alan Tracy and Lady Penelope are in a club and it's Cliff Richard and the Shadows in marionette form. Yeah. And it's just a sort of extended dream sequence while they sing like, a shooting star will shoot you, a Mars will go to war. Not till Captain Scarlet, though. Yeah, that, oh, that, yeah. It's a prequel to Captain Scarlet, basically, that dream sequence. Cliff Richard could see into the future! (laughs) That's so weird. And that dream sequence plays no role in the overall story. It's like, a complete and utter, to use the phrase that I've heard on the internet several times, big-lipped alligator moment. It just comes, it goes, there's no reason for it. It's just- Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Just there. I know. It's a, it's a really nice showcase of like, what the model makers could 
do like because there's remember there's really like striking imagery of like this acoustic guitar blasting off from like the moon or mars like a rocket and like the shadows are all playing on this huge another acoustic guitar so it's a nice showcase of like the technical side of thunderbirds but in terms of plot character forget it yeah and then (laughs) that was followed by another movie thunderbird 6 where it turns out thunderbird 6 was just an ordinary plane tiger moth god tiger moth biplane yeah i mean okay yeah sure why not why not why the hell not but i I think i remember like uh, i remember reading a thunderbirds comic once where they nearly made a hot air balloon thunderbird 6 so clearly these guys are just impressed by any sort of (laughs) aviation equipment and oh but weirdly though thunderbird 6 does prove it's like usefulness in that scene because it saves alan tintin penelope parker off that toppling skyship one so it kind of does its job but it's like it's i remember even as a kid watching this film and just being really unsatisfied during that um sort of final scene where all the tracy family are up on the um thunderbird 2 hangar and they they open they pull they open down thunderbird 2's hangar door they palm trees fall down on the runway and we're all just sitting there desperately excited to see oh what kind of craft is going to be thunderbird 6 and just out rolls this diddy bloody tiger moth wah, wah, wah. oh it's so weird and you know there's an earlier scene where brains go through this montage of building prototype thunderbird 6 craft to show jeff saying look this could be your new thunderbird 6 and they all actually look really far cooler than the thunderbird 6 we end up getting yeah i mean i forgot to say, they live in the middle of the pacific ocean on like an island I mean, that plane is not going to have enough fuel to get to wherever they need to go. If if, if there's like an, an, a terrible like earth, if there's an earthquake in Spain, they've got to cross either several oceans or several <laughs> continents to get there. It's not going to be able to do much. No, and it never does really. That's the, that was the last Thunderbirds story for quite a while, so we never did get to see it in action. Because yeah. they, they, they tried to sell it to America, didn't they? And it didn't really work out. Yeah, I think at that point, Jerry's investor at the time, Lou Grade, who was kind of like, in a way, maybe Simon Cowell or the Richard Branson of his day, in that he was a big media mogul with just tons of money, who was always showering Jerry and his team with money to make all these puppet shows. Up to that point, they'd done Supercar, Stingray and Fireball, and they'd all been pretty big hits in America. So I think Lou's logic at the time was like he could easily sell Thunderbirds at a much sort of larger price than he'd sold the other shows to. But then that kind of backfired on him when, like, it was, it's it's kind of lost in history because um, Jerry himself wasn't altogether sure how it happened because he wasn't there to see Lou sell Thunderbirds to America, I think. So it has been kind of lost in history. But the general consensus is, like, it was a mismanaged bidding war and it ended up being, like, um, syndicated on American networks, whatever that means. But, like, um, obviously it didn't get the impact that it needed in America. And because these shows were so expensive to make, like I think your average episode of Thunderbirds, I may be wrong here, but your average episode of Thunderbirds was costing, I think about 40 grand. And I think at that time... They've got to construct all the models, all the sets, all the yeah. moving parts, all the little vehicle models and have them blow up at the end. I know. And I think at that time, you could buy like a London flat for five grand or something. So it was like, Thunderbirds was like, hugely expensive to make so it's pretty vital to get that sale in america which made up for a lot of the market at that time and it just just didn't pan out and thunderbirds really sort of crashed and burned before it could really take off sadly 
But thankfully, there was something else. I mean, from what I can hear, Joey Anderson just went back to the drawing board and came up with this new thing. Captain <laughs> Scarlet. Yeah. Captain Scarlet. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Uh, so, Captain Scarlet, much darker in terms of tone, I should say. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, before it was all about, ooh, whizzing around the world and blowing stuff up and helping people and international rescue. In this, it's basically a sort, kind of like a war of psychological attrition with an ancient, unknowing, Martian, godlike force that want to destroy all humanity. Fun, right, kids? <laughs> Perfect family viewing. Yeah, but even though even, it's, it sounds... It is a lot darker, but it's still something that I think kids and adults can like. Just although it's, it is quite dark. I mean, for God's sake, the the first thing we see in this show is like a Martian civilization being destroyed, being rebuilt, and then destroying the people that destroyed them in the first place. Exactly. And then the second scene we get is <laughs> them just killing off the main character. Yeah, about I th I think I don't think it's even. For a whole minute that we see the pre Mister One Captain Scarlet, I think it is just an amount of seconds that we see him before he dies. Yeah, he has a conversation. I think it's Captain Brown. Captain Brown. Captain Brown, <laughs> and then dead. They drag him off into Both the bushes, dead. and then out comes someone else. Basically, the story at plot of Captain Scarlet is uh, there's this uh, this what do you call it? group called Spectrum, and they're like a peacekeeping force. Am I right with that? Yeah. Yeah, they're kind of a sort of paramilitary security force, weirdly, whose mission is never really stated what Spectrum were doing or what their role was before the Mr. Ones came along, because they were kind of hijacked into becoming Earth defenders against this unknown alien force. But it was never really explicitly stated what the point of Spectrum was before the Mr. Ones came along. I mean, in the very first episode, the whole reason why they're there, they send like a Spectrum agent to Mars for some yeah. reason. They come across like this alien... Uh, civilization called the Mysterons because spacey and <laughs> and uh, they think they're going to attack them and like fire on them so like oh crap crap let's let's, let's fire first and the, Captain Black the, the agent they send is sort of trigger happy at this point yeah they blow them up but see the Mysterons have the ability to recreate any form of matter if it gets destroyed and so they rebuild the civilization from the ground up I'm like, oh, you, you like blowing stuff up, huh? Well, take this! And then <laughs> kill Captain Black. But they resurrect him as a Mysteron agent. And because mm. they've got to kill something or destroy something in order to rebuild it. And they can do that with human beings. But once they do that, they're not themselves anymore. They're Mysterons. Anyone could be one. Anyone. <laughs> that was a body snatchers thing, in case you were wondering. Anyway. And um, so I was they... wondering, actually, yeah. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a difficult thing to replicate. I'm sorry. But anyway, you I, very well. Thank you. And uh, so they kill Captain Scarlet, resurrect him as a Mysteron, and he starts sabotaging things. And I know, I know he uh, kidnaps the world president, I believe. Yes, he does. Yeah. And but this is 20, 2067 and we have world everything now. <sighs> yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> and uh, and so Captain Blue, his friend, is, is tasked to bring him down. And bringing him down, he does. He rescues the world president, shoots him, and he falls to his death. Like, you see him like, whee! That was honestly the most petrifying 
scene of my childhood. I remember it distinctly, thinking, sitting down to watch Captain Scarlet, thinking it was going to be more of the same light-hearted shenanigans of Stingray and Thunderbirds, where everyone saves the day, back home for tea, but then watch Captain Scarlet, and what do you know, you actually see this dude die, that grimace face he pulls, and that, those chords of music, that da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and then the he's... structure he's on collapses and blows yeah. up. Oh, it freaked me out as a kid. I but love it worry, now. Don't, don't worry, kids. All is not lost because it turns out that Mr. On Body things have something called retrometabolism. I think is the phrase they used. That's the, the one, yeah. Where if you get any injury, you come back to life and are completely healed. So it turns out Captain Scarlet is... <sighs> indestructible i want to make a point that if you can destruct something but it comes back that does not make it indestructible okay it just means they can come back from being destructed adamantium is indestructible okay this is uh, my ego is indestructible this is not being indestructible this is being able to recover from any injury but anyway so but this for some reason which i still can't remember why causes the Mr. On version of Captain Scarlet to regain his, like, his personality, his memories, and be free from Mr. On control. So Captain Scarlet is still technically dead, and this is, a, like, a duplicate of him, but he's on the side of good now, and he can recover from any injury. And I believe this is basically just because Jerry Anderson wanted to kill him off at the end of episode and have him be back in the next one. I think the original plan for Scarlet was um, to have this kind of concept related something to being a straight up police show police themed show and about how jerry wanted to kill the main character off and just bring in a totally new character totally different character as a new hero and lou grade kind of gave a proverbial middle finger to that and said you've got to retool this concept make it better and thus he came up with the idea i think of scarlet being indestructible and i think also one of the earlier concepts for scarlet was to make him more of a robot make him more of a mechanical man rather than just like an evil copy of a human being mm. that was kind of one of the original plans and for various reasons which i don't think have ever really been stated they just kind of got filtered out and sort of replaced by what we know now really yeah. which was a pretty damn good show it featured captain yeah. scarlet going up against captain black and the misterons and it did this thing like at the beginning of every episode where the Mistrons, and they had like these glowing circle light things that goes to go everywhere, and that was really cool. But they, they used to like announce their plans for the episode, like, Attention Earthmen, we will destroy this building over there. You can't <laughs> stop us. And I'm thinking like, if you're going to destroy the building, don't tell your arch enemies what you're going to do. That's just poor planning, because they're going to go there and try and stop you, which they always do. Ah, but do they, though? Do they? There were a handful of episodes where Spectrum actually lost the battle and the Mr. Ones do kill whatever they wanted to kill or blow up the power plant or building they were going to destroy. It ah. didn't always come out in their favour. Oh. Oh, yeah. Have but I destroyed, still... Have I destroyed your ego, boss? No, it's indestructible! <laughs> but... I mean, yeah, still, that... like, you could do that anyway without telling them your plans. And uh, I think it all went back to, like, this war of nerves that it was meant to, like, be about. Like, Mr. Ones are very trickster villains. Like, they want, they love to, like, dangle red herrings upon a spectrum eyes and send them off on wild goose chases. So it was kind of like, yeah, very um, 
sly way of doing a war, essentially. Yeah. I remember them being rather interesting villains because when they when <laughs> Captain Black first encounters them, um, they have no hostile intentions whatsoever. They're just like, oh look, there's a bunch of Earth people. Let's take a closer look at them. Oh my <laughs> God, they've blown us up. Well, fuck those guys. We don't. <laughs> we didn't start this, but damn it, we're gonna finish it. Yeah, it does seem like a pretty overreaction to what they do really and yet as the series develops there's a handful of episodes where it's like sort of vaguely hinted that the Mysterons take a further interest in humans and the earth and kind of see how sort of bad they can be and thus punish them for like all their misdemeanors really there's an episode called the heart of new york where this trio of um uh, robbers sort of try to manipulate the Mysterons into working for them by coming up with their own plan to fake their deaths, come back as fake Mr. One agents and rob a bank in like an evacuated New York City because the Mr. Ones have already announced that they intend to destroy what's called the heart of New York. And it's established that eventually they all they do is destroy a bank. But then it's revealed that the Mr. Ones were kind of keeping tabs on them all along and Captain Black comes along and locks these three blokes in this bank as they're robbing it and precisely the effect of we're punishing you because of your greed. It's it's brought you here. It's your own undoing. And they do end up destroying the bank and killing these poor robbers. So nothing nothing is ever explicitly stated in Scarlet, but it everything is sort of hinted at. It's it's a great show to like that's that's open to interpretation because nothing is ever explicitly stated. So everything is right and everything is wrong, depending on your opinion. That's kind of what makes it so so fun to analyze. Um but yeah, there's several episodes like that where the Mr. One, where it's kind of established, well, not so much established, but like the Mr. One's kind of justified in their war of nerves, really, if you take these robbers as an example, really. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting that a show like that, which is essentially for kids, would show these sort of like this moral ambiguity, this shades of because humanity actually, yeah, kind of violent. And if Captain Black had just like, maybe waited yeah. for like half a second before deciding let's bomb this whole alien city. Maybe then we wouldn't be in this mess, but no. Hmm. It could have been a totally different show. Could have been a totally different show. And uh, how long did Captain yeah. Scarlet last for? 32 episodes. 32 episodes, just 32. And yet we're still talking about it today, but we're still, it still has a dedicated fan yeah. base. I mean, Thunderbirds lasted for longer, didn't it? Thunderbirds was, yeah, it was two series. Um, I think that was also close to 30 episodes, maybe about 40, but about 40 episodes, two movies, several remakes, all sorts of spin-off media. But Captain Scarlet had its spin-off media too. But like, as you say, it's never like, been as... Oh my God, there was, a, there was a really, really terrible PS2 game. Have you ever played that? No, I, I've heard of these Anderson games, but I never played them. I'm not much of a gamer. I've only played... Uh... I, I, I've only played one uh, Jerry Anderson video game, which was a Thunderbirds game for the Game Boy Color, which was actually quite a lot of fun. You could, you could, there was levels for Thunderbird <laughs> Four, Thunderbird One, Thunderbird Two, uh, Thunderbird Three, not Thunderbird Five, obviously. And it was quite a lot of fun, uh, just like a side-scrolling thing. But uh, from what I can tell of the Captain Scarlet game, I mean, it's basically just a driving game with a couple, a bit of guns in it they, they, they got like two vehicles the um special pursuit vehicle am i getting it right 
the and Spectrum Pursuit Vehicle. I think you will find my young man. Sorry, 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 sorry. The Spectrum <laughs> Pursuit Vehicle and the uh, the Spectrum Saloon car thing. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, the bit, the little red one and the big grey one. Yeah, yeah, the red one. Yeah. And it's basically just going around a bunch of tracks, shooting a bunch of supposed Mister on cars, and that was the whole game. And it was crap by most by most accounts. Oh, okay. I didn't miss much then. No, you did not, and neither did I. But I, I've looked up clips and walkthroughs and reviews, just like, oh, oh, there's a Captain Scarlet game. I want to better. Oh, oh, wait, it's shit. Joy, joy. God, I actually quite a, quite a few like uh, Thunderbirds, <laughs> uh, just things growing up. I mean, I, I had like I had two, and I am completely secure in saying this: Thunderbird dolls. I'm fine with okay. this. I'm okay with this. Get off my case. I'm fine with this. Anyway, uh, there was it was one of Scott <laughs> Tracy and one of Alan Tracy, and I like them. They were pretty cool. And I also got because I, I asked for this for Christmas once, and I got it. It was a Tracy Island playset, and it, it had everything, Fred. It had everything. You could uh, it had the like the, the, the Thunderbirds models, and you could put it in there, and you could you could actually launch Thunderbird two from it. You could do that. You could see inside the island. It was amazing. Was that the sound tech or the power tech Tracy Island or the matchbox one? I don't know. Oh, you let me down. You let so, me down. I'm so, I don't. I was a kid. I didn't say, <laughs> okay, what's the, what's who made this? What's the model of this? I was just like, oh, Tracy Island. Yay. <laughs> I, I'll look it up. If I know, was, it, was, it a, was it a big Tracy Island? It was fairly big. Yeah. It was probably the sound tech or the matchbox one then. I had that one too. Yeah, because because you like you could go and like inside like the uh, the bit where they have the, the wall where they have all their pictures on the um, on the wall, and you press button and one of them lights up. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah, it all lights up, wouldn't they? Yeah, that, that was, was the one cool. I had. That was, that was so just cool. one of the many ones I had, I should say. Yeah, that was that was awesome. I had <laughs> my dream Christmas dream came true. Oh, same. Yeah. God, it was so cool. It's great. So I think we're going to move on and we're going to talk now. After many, many years and continuing legacy of these shows, eventually something new had to come along. Mm. A new Captain Scarlet television show using, well, I say top of the line, using mid-2000s CGI. Back then it was top of the line. Uh, Yeah, it's pretty good. And, you know, I, I watched quite a few episodes of that and you know what i really liked it i like it i still like it oh. it does a good job of updating like the mythology of the show i think yeah because they go a lot more deeper into the characters yeah yeah they explain it... some things uh and they, they, they really i remember the whole there's a whole thing there's like it turns out one of the characters is destiny angel the angels are like a uh this this all-female fighter squadron that protect cloud base uh the place where spectrum hangs out and uh, Destiny Angel was like in a relationship with Conrad, who is Captain Black, who becomes evil, and he's mm-hmm. and he's, he's good friends with Captain Scarlet, who I, I I keep on forgetting this, but then I, then I go back to it and I remember Captain Scarlet real Captain Scarlet's real name is Paul. Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Our hero Paul. is called. No offense to the Pauls of the world, but I can't take ser- Captain Scarlet. I can take seriously. <laughs> Paul, I can't. Oh look, who's come to save the day? It's Paul. Paul. <laughs> Paul, save us all. We love you, Paul. 
<laughs> Sorry, Paul's of the world, but still. Uh, but yeah, yeah, and so there was, it was, it was an interesting sort of connection between the characters there, and it was, it was pretty interesting, although they made a couple of changes. For example, uh, Lieutenant Green, in the original series, he was a man, and in this series, it's now a woman, which I'm, I'm okay with, frankly, because uh, they needed more female characters other than, you know, the ones that are part of the angels, because there's like, there's yeah. Melody Angel, and Rhapsody Angel, and Harmony Angel, and other things ending in Y Angel, but uh, so it was, it was good to get another character, another female character outside of that. Uh, but also, they did two things that I found really weird. Captain Scarlet was no longer English; she was American, and Destiny Angel was no longer French; she was, uh, she was, she was uh, English. Yeah, she was, wasn't she? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I prefer my Scarlet as British. Damn right. We got, another, we got we got another American here. Let me have a let's, let's have a couple of our own. We basically got James Bond and Harry Potter, and that's it. Come yeah. on, <laughs> jeez. Yeah, but, uh, the cosmetic changes, but other than that, yeah, it was it, it looked pretty good. It was a lot of uh, very action packed, a lot of fun, and it kept a lot of sort of like uh, visual motifs and stuff, like the glowing Mistron circle things. They still yeah. had those. They did the like. They used to do this thing in Cap Scarlet where they would transition from one to another by going like bum bum ba bum bum, and it was just like flash between on each bum between one scene and the next. And yeah, they kept that. that. Nice keep. Yeah, that was a nice thing to keep. Yeah, it was very it was, it, it worked and uh, yeah, it had all the old vehicles returning, bit of an update. The costumes got a bit of an updating, but still looked very much like the original costumes. And uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Didn't they change one of the characters' names? No, because uh, uh, Dr. Fawn became Dr. Gold. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was just saying, I haven't actually watched the show um, all the way through in a fair while. I have got the the box set, but I have to dig it out again and just go through it all. Because I do remember it made all those little, little changes hmm. to, like, as you say, names, nationalities. But the premise of the show was still the same. But it was a nice way of just updating all, like, the little, just little, maybe sort of plot holes and logic holes that... Scarlet original show sometimes had it just made sense of it all really yeah and they they I, th I think they they sort of fixed like because in the original series he gets shot and falls off a thing and then is back to for what we shall call normal uh but in this one mm -hmm. he uh like gets pushed through that this, this energy beam thing and that's what makes him yeah yeah and I think that makes a bit more sense because I mean, like, otherwise, when they, if they ever like knocked Captain Black off of a tall building, shouldn't he be back to normal? And yeah, so I think that it makes, makes a bit more sense than this. Yeah, that's it overall in, in a way, just making sense of it all. Yeah, and not one of the original didn't make sense. It's just that some things <laughs> didn't get explained. No, well, exactly, yeah. Because they didn't need but... to explain everything because we got like fighter jets and explosions and yeah. creepy glowing green things. <laughs> Yeah. I don't think the new I don't think new Captain Scarlet quite had the same unique sort of gothicy flavor to it. It did feel a bit more straightforward. I think it kind of lacked that original flavor. Yeah, I mean there were a couple of bits like when there's a scene in like the first episode where Captain Black, who has been like buried, they think he's dead, bursts out of the grave and stuff, and like a lightning bolt strikes the tree in the graveyard, and it's all dark and raining, and for some reason they buried him in a black trench coat. And his, oh, eyes yeah. glow, and his eyes glow green. <laughs> Weird funeral attire, but all right. And that looked pretty cool. But that was the only thing that really comes to mind when I th when you think of 
just how dark the visual show is. Because, I mean, the show started, like, even before the theme song, like, a, the camera just walking down a dark alleyway and then turns around, sees Captain Scarlet, someone, like, machine guns him, he doesn't move, and then he just, like, pulls up his gun and fires once. And that's all you need. That's all you need. That's all you need. <laughs> I mean, it's like that scene in Indiana Jones, Gone Wild. Just... Oh, <laughs> I think I've seen that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. And um, and of course, years later, it was I think it was only a question of time until we got a uh, a, a new Thunderbirds show. And I haven't seen all of it. I've only seen a couple of episodes. From what I could tell, it looked pretty good. Fred, your thoughts? I do quite like it. It's a lot of fun. I don't think it's quite as... I don't know if good is the right word. It doesn't have... Decent? The, I don't know. It doesn't have the overall sort of scope of the original show. Each episode of Thunderbirds was like 50 minutes long. But here in the new Thunderbirds, Thunderbirds are go. Each episode is half that length. Yeah. So it doesn't quite achieve that sort of gargantuan feel to the show. Yeah, but mean, it's still, didn't they air it like really early in the morning? Yeah, eight, 8 in the morning for Series 1. And when Series 2 came along last year, it got shifted to a, like a 4 p.m. slot. Yeah, so a bit more... Much better, I would say. Yeah. But overall, it's 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 just a really nice show. Yeah, I quite like it. it. What I like most about it is the animation they use. Because they use CGI again, which looks pretty goddamn good. But yeah. also, they used live-action models and sets. They do. That's such a nice touch to go about it. And it looks so great because I remember watching it and I thought, holy crap, like the dust flying up and the explosions and things like that uh, and some models. I mean, this looks like real. This looks photorealistic. And then I looked at like behind scenes, scenes thing and oh, it is realistic because that's what they use. And the I, it blends together so well. I think it does. Yeah, it's really well executed. Yeah. And uh, there's a couple of other interesting things. Um... The person who plays Lady Penelope is Rosamund Pike, who portrayed Lady Penelope in another thing, which we will get to later. But also, I think, much more interestingly, they got the original voice actor for Parker back, David Graham. Yeah. I mean, the guy is in his 90s. He's still doing <laughs> stuff. He's still, And he still <laughs> sounds exactly the same. He does. It's not an odd days gone by. Yeah, he's voiced several other characters in the show, as far as I can tell. I can't remember which ones, but... I mean, people, he did. Lo people love Parker. Yeah, yeah. Graham also, he did Gordon, Brains, and Kirano. I didn't even know that. And yeah, he's back like nothing had happened. It's like 50 years later, yes. and he's still there. He's great. <laughs> uh, he is. But there were a couple of other changes. Now, we can't not talk about it, so let's talk about the elephant in the room. What the fuck did they do with their hair? The, the hair <laughs> for all the main characters is all wrong. I, some might say this is a nitpicky thing. No, no. Because Scott in the original one had black sort of hair, very dark hair. This one he's got like slightly dark brown. In the original one, Virgil had brown hair. Now he's got black. In the original, Gordon had red hair. Now he's blonde. And in the original, John was blonde. And now he's red. This is such a weird change. Really? Am I alone in this? Am I, the I, only didn't one really, I didn't really think of that when I first saw it, to be honest. Really? Oh, my God. I'm I the know. most nitpicky person in the world. 
But Scott's hair, the new Scott, is the, the actual style is the same as the original, though. Oh, yeah, the styles are pretty close, uh, except for maybe perhaps Virgil. But, I mean, then they maybe want to differentiate it from Scott's a bit more. But, I mean, yeah, the design, the vibe, it's just, it's just the colour. I'm, I'm very precise. I like... <laughs> Still, uh, let's be honest, they did a better job with the hairs of that, of the characters in this, than they did in something else that we'll get to later. I've got to stop mentioning it. Uh, but now let's talk about uh, something else. So, one of one of the biggest change, two of the biggest changes. There are two big changes. One, Jeff Tracy is missing, or is he dead? I can't remember. Yeah, uh, he's missing. He's officially. Mi- he's officially he's missing, and I, which I thought was an interesting. Time. I remember watching this thing. I think, oh, I get to see Jeff Tracy because you hear like the original voice actor for Tracy, Jeff Tracy's uh, voice in the opening yeah. when they recreate the intro, which I thought they pretty did a pretty good job of that. Yeah. That was a nice touch of just taking the original Peter Peter Dinley, I think his name. Um, just taking the original voice of that and just putting it on five, four, well, that sort of thing. Uh, that so one. <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, I, I need to watch the rest of the season to see how that all goes. No spoilers. And the other big thing is Tintin is now no longer Tintin. Because apparently oh. the whole confusion with that Tintin and another Tintin got so bad they decided to give her a completely different name. So now she's K.O., because mm. apparently for her knockout punch <laughs> okay and a very drastically different personality much more involved in the thunderbirds which i like i thought that was a, that was a good way of doing yeah. it yeah and she gets her own thunderbird thunderbird s for shadow yeah i mean i don't know what to feel about that because on one hand when you first see thunderbird shadow it looks kind of cool and I, I kind of like the idea of that. And it looks sort of like what a Thunderbird might look like. But on the other hand, maybe not as much. I don't know. But on the other hand, I feel like giving her another her own Thunderbird. I mean, we, it was it necessary? Um, well, there's several episodes later on in season one where like she makes use of Shadow in a like, really like nice, effective way. Going up against um, bad guys and using kind of not so much rescue craft but more spy spy uh, fighter jet type craft so i think it makes sense to give her own craft because i think if you didn't um i can just imagine that there'd be some some uproar that all the boys get their thunderbirds but the one girl wouldn't yeah Maybe that does make a lot of sense i mean although, although her role i think they could have done a bit better in terms of like her role within the team because her official role is covert ops which sounds suspiciously like espionage, which is what Lady Penelope does. Yes. I feel like they could have done made it, I feel like they should have differentiated the two a bit more. Yeah. I, I think also, a, you need to give her a specific role within the team. I get that, and that makes yeah. sense. But we've already got a spy. We don't need another one. She does in several episodes. She's kind of the co-pilot of um, Thunderbird Three with Alan. She kind of has that secondary role. And I think her overall role is just kind of like to make sure Tracy Island is kept safe, which which it is, mostly because I think not because she does a good job, but because it's an island in the middle of nowhere. No one's gonna, gonna find. It's a, it's a, I mean, geez, I, I I I do wonder how they managed to get their food in there. Like they don't grow it there. Do they just ship it in? Do they go out and get it? Do, do, do they just are they sending Thunderbird one out for takeout all the time? I can see them doing that. But there is one episode in the original series where um, I think the most of the Thunderbirds are out on a mission 
and they're waiting for them to come back and they hear a craft coming and Carano says something like, oh, I bet that's the male plane. And that just makes me think, well, if they have like a male plane, maybe they have a food plane. Maybe yeah. they have like outside sources in the original show. But it's, again, it's not something that's really talked about in the new show. They just That's they just not have... where the focus is. Yeah, they just have food. They have clothes. They have warmth. They got, they've got it. And they, they got... <laughs> it's a really swank place. I would not mind living in Tracy Island. Like, I don't care if it's the middle of the island. That's a, that's a nice, that's nice digs. I much prefer the new Tracy Island to the original. <gasps> I know. I much Sacrilege. Prefer how, I much prefer how the innards of the new Tracy Islands are like carved out, like a, a natural carved out island compared to the original, yeah. where it didn't have that kind of aesthetic feel. It was just sort of like sitting on top of this island, basically. Yeah, but I mean... I, 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 I like the original one, but uh, yeah, it does look good in the new one. And I like how the fact that they kept the uh, how they get to the Thunderbird machines, like they, these like back panels and walls and yeah. and stuff. They just sort of like slide down, and it, it looks pretty cool. I didn't like the fact that they get changed whilst they're going down these things, like into their Thunderbird uniforms, because like in the original series they just got onto the Thunderbirds in their clothes and then they pulled out the their uniform which was already in the thunderbird which makes mm. a tad more sense and it seems a bit logistically wise a bit easier i don't know a bit yeah. too wallace uh, and gromit for me <laughs> i kind of like it though because it makes sense to get your clothes your like ir gear on before you sit in your craft and this, then you could just crack on getting your thunderbird in the sky yeah because the whole Mate. reason why they don't just like go down a bunch of stairs into the hangar is so they can get out as quickly as possible i'm guessing and so hmm. the clothes change makes a bit more sense. I mean, it's a bit, 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 bit weird. They like rush to get into their Thunderbird craft, and then okay, we're just gonna stop while I, you know, strip down and get my uniform on. Oh crap, the zipper's stuck. The zipper's stuck. Oh shit, brains <laughs> help. <laughs> and, uh, the, yeah, <laughs> they. Uh, I think they made brains. Is he? Is he Indian in the in Thunderbirds Argo? I don't know. He is. Yeah, he's Indian. Yeah. Okay, I thought that, thought that was an. Nice change to get a bit more diversity in there. I thought that was cool. It's still the same character and everything. Yeah. They, they, I, I noticed they reduced the stutter to a certain extent. Yeah, I find that too. But that did happen in the original series, I think. I think towards the later episodes, the stutter was kind of removed almost altogether. Yeah, par partially some... because it's kind of annoying and partially because it's... I mean, the character brains, I, I like character. I think it's a good character, smart character. But it's still not the best portrayal of someone who has a speech impediment. Let's be no. honest. It's uh, <laughs> no, you could argue it's a tad insensitive, but he's still a good character, and I like it. Yeah, yeah. Anything more you want to say about Thunderbirds? I'll go. Anything that stands out to you? Um, I'm just trying to think. It really is just. I think it's just a lovely little homage to the original, and I do like also. We mentioned briefly about there being no Jeff Tracy. The way that kind of impact on the new series is that the family of scene of the show is kind of emphasized a bit more because in the original like the whole operation was commanded by jeff jeff ordered everything whereas here every, everyone works more as a team and thus because it's these five young men five young men trying to run a top secret rescue organization there is a kind of clash of character about how you know, new Scott in this one, he's a lot more headstrong than the original. And he sometimes makes 
rash decisions on how to handle a rescue. So because of that clash of um, personality in the new series, you get a more rewarding character experience, I think, in a way. Just overall, I think that's just a nicer way of showing how, when you don't have Jeff, maybe you have more interesting characters. Maybe. 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 It was pretty interesting. They got... Uh, I don't think some of the other actors... Um... Well, I think they got like people like I think Jack Whitehall, uh, British stand-up comedian actor. He was in an, an episode or something. I, I can't remember. Uh, Thomas Brody Sangster. He's been in tons of stuff. He's yeah. in Game of Thrones. He was who? Who did he play? He's he's John. He's John. There you go. Then he's, he's John. John. Yeah. And uh, as you said, Rosamund Pike, who is in that other thing. But before we get to that, I think it's worth at least talking about. Maybe you can explain this to me because it baffles my mind to this day. Mm-hmm. Thunderbirds 2086. Yeah. What the hell? Well, there's two conflicting stories as to how that show came about, I think. Mm-hmm. The most accepted the most accepted story is that it was um, a Japanese show. A Japanese it's anime. It's an anime, in case you want yeah. capers. It was produced under the name Scientific Rescue Team Techno Voyager. And the people at ITV um, saw an opportunity to cash in on... I think a revived interest in Jerry Anson stuff because at that time in the mid to late 80s he was having success with a new show called Terror Hawks and I think also the introduction of the VHS tape meant that all the back all this back catalog got re-released and so there was now this new newfound interest in Jerry Anson show so they saw an opportunity to bring this show which is very obviously a Thunderbirds homage because Thunderbirds and Jerry Anson shows, they were huge in Japan, like massive. Because I mean, t- they, they use like models and stuff like that in a lot of their kaiju movies. Yeah. All those old school Toho Godzilla movies. Mm. Yeah, so Techno Voyage is very much a love letter to Thunderbirds in a way. Um, so ITC saw an opportunity to Techno Voyager into Thunderbirds 2086. And it really is a Thunderbirds show all like all in name there's no continuity references to original series um there's only like three of them three thunderbirds well there's there's about 17 thunderbird craft i think oh Maybe right, even i've only seen the intro from the intro it looked like yeah, there's only three there's, there's the three main thunderbirds really so that's that's like kind of the most accepted story that's um how thunderbirds 26 came about the other version is that technovo was really just an afterthought and that this show really was produced under the name Thunderbirds 2086 originally in Japan but it did so badly with test audiences that well the ever initiative driven Japanese they decided rather than throw the whole thing away they repackage it as a totally different show and they did so called Techno Voyager and it was still brought over to the west as Thunderbirds 2086 um, that's a story I found in this old Jerry Anderson fanzine called Superman Nation is Go. Um, you can pick copies up off eBay if you want to check that story out. I think it's in between issues five and six if you want to read a bit more on that kind of version of the story. Oh, okay. But yeah, the story is like like the first story. But ultimately, the show did kind of fail in both Japan and the West. Like it got pulled after so many episodes got broadcast, unfortunately. So we never did quite see the full um, version of the show, whether it was Techno Voyager or whether it was Thunderbirds 2086. Okay. But, um, but in a real ironic twist, um, Th- Th- Thunderbirds 20, or rather Techno Voyager, sorry, 
it did get a full broadcast run of all 26 episodes in America, of all countries. Which oh, is so the they con- don't want the actual Thunderbirds, yeah. but they'll take the weird the mutant weird offspring episodes. anime. Yeah, exactly, that happens. Um, so yeah, that's kind of Thunder 2086 Birds Techno Voyager thingy be bob in a nutshell. Yes, it's so another it- whole... Sorry? Sorry, it's the thing. It's not a whole podcast in itself, really. It's an interesting take on Thunderbirds because yeah. it's it really the Thunderbirds that history forgot, in a way. Yeah. And now we must move on to the Thunderbirds story that we wish we could forget. Oh, sweet Lordy <laughs> Lou. Thunderbirds, the live action movie. Oh, goody. Directed by Jonathan Frakes. Frakes! Frakes! <laughs> Freaks! So sorry. Uh, It's possibly... It's one of... Not only is it one of the worst adaptions I've ever seen. I just... I generally hate it with a passion. I... 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 I, The mic. What are your thoughts? Well, you have to understand that I first saw this film when I was... Oh, I can't have been much older than eight, I guess. And when I went to see this film, I thought, by golly, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Because I was totally swept up in the idea of live action Thunderbirds. I just, I, I just, I just wanted that for so long. And then I finally got it. And after I saw it for the first time, I thought, this is, I'm, I may as well just end my life now. Because it's not going to get much better than this. I've seen the live action Thunderbirds. But then, as time went on. You developed taste. And the more I watched it again, the more I kind of thought, this isn't good. (laughs) More than not good, it's not Thunderbirds, goddamn. I know. It's It's the Alan Tracy Variety Hour, jeez. The general consensus, weirdly, is that it's actually, it's not a terrible film, but it's just as soon as you put Thunderbirds in it, it becomes terrible. Yeah, (laughs) I... We, I mean, I. It's so bad. I want when I, when I was doing my master's degree here in Edinburgh. I actually did one of my assignments. I did, a, I did an essay on just how bad this movie was, and I got a pretty damn good grade for it. Because <laughs> I mean, I could dissect this thing all day. So we shall. First of all, when did this movie come out? Two thousand and four. Two thousand and four. Okay, and so. I mean, it's it came out in 2004, and it's set in 2010. Oh, that's that's not a really big deal, right? Except the original show was set in 2065, a hundred years after it was initially broadcast. <laughs> I don't know why they went down that route. Yeah, I mean, so in six years, we're going to have supersonic vehicle things like this. We're going to have all this technological achievement in fucking six years? No! It's it's it, it's been seven years since that, and we still don't have this sort of thing. Mm. <laughs> it's been the, the same amount of time since Underbirds 2004 as it has been when it's set in the future. Yeah, it, it, it's <laughs> it, it's crazy. It's crazy. But okay, so that that's a that's the that's the smallest tip of the fucking iceberg. <laughs> so the original show featured like it was all about all of the brothers. It was about Scott and Virgil and Alan and so on and so forth. This movie is just about Alan. It's only about Alan. Now, you could argue that you could make Alan 
the central character. You could have feature all the other characters, but just have a bit more focus on Alan because you need a primary central protagonist. I get that. I do. I do. But no, the other Tracy brothers get next to no attention or development. Like John Tracy gets a conversation with Jeff Tracy once and that's it. They don't even look like each other. I, I swear Scott Tracy's like blonde haired with like a Mohican or something. What the hell? You point that to that guy and say, Scott, I'm like, I don't believe you. At least Alan, they gave him, like, blonde hair. But he's, 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 well, they made him really young. They made him so fucking young. Because in the, he is the youngest of the Tracy brothers. And in the original show, he's, like, in his early 20s, right? I think he may be teenager in the original series. I may be wrong. I, Definitely I thought, the youngest. like, very early 20s. Or the very least, may, like, like 18 it. or 19. Yeah. He's out of school, basically. Yeah. I know Scott's 24. Oh, I've done a couple of what the other ones are, but yeah. I've, I've no idea, but I mean, so they're all fairly young, but he's the youngest. In this one, he can't be more than like, what, 15, 16, and he's in high <laughs> school. And he, okay, okay, so this is a prequel, right? Okay, we're going to see how we became a Thunderbird. Okay, I can get behind this, only he has a best friend. What's this best friend's name? Fermat, I think. Fermat, leaving aside the fact that that is not a name. That is not a name. No one on earth is called Fermat. I am. It, with... sounds... it just sounds like something you put in your computer to stop get stop it getting viruses. Basically, yes. Upgrade Fermat point zero point two <laughs> to stop bad plot holes. But anyway, okay. So you might be wondering why am I getting so angry about Fermat? What's so wrong with Fermat? Fermat is Brains's son. <laughs> Brains did not really have a son in the original show that I remember. Was he in any of the episodes? Did you see that? No. He had a robot, but that was it. He had a robot. He had, yeah, I mean, because here's the thing. I had no offence to Brains. Who'd want to have a child with Brains? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not that inclined, but I don't imagine anyone would. I mean, no no offence but to, to Brains, but I mean, who, who looks at Brains like the, the Scrawny, specky, stuttering thing. Oh yeah, gonna get me a piece of that. I, I, I'm sorry. I've been slightly mean. I just hate this. The addition of this character because he's he's basically like the geeky child prodigy sidekick sort of thing. And uh, but any idea of this being like a prequel or something is gone because I mean, what happened? He he's still alive. Sadly, at the end of this movie. He's not in the original series. So what the fuck happened to Fermat? And you know what? I don't want to know the answer to that because I don't care about Fermat. He's nothing original, as you say. The brainy little squit who helps out the more masculine hero. Yeah. Nothing else. Really. And um, they, in the original show, there was like this sort of romance going on between Alan and Tintin. Uh, not really sort of, but still. Uh, and they, they amp that up for this one. She's played by Vanessa Hudgens in this. Mm. Don't care. Uh, fucking Disney still got their claws in that. I know she's, but still, <laughs> still, but still, but still, but still. And it's basically just like, it's the three of them going up against the hood. Oh, it's the hood. Well, I, I, that's pretty cool. I wonder who's going to be playing him. Oh, whoops. It's Ben Kingsley. <laughs> I like Ben Kingsley's hood. I, he's, he's pretty good. But the problem with Ben Kingsley is he can only make Good movies and bad movies. 
He can't make okay movies. I've never seen him in an okay, mediocre movie. I've either seen him where he's great or whether he's terrible. And this falls into the terrible category. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going to get a very well-known, slightly older, bold actor, Ben Kingsley would be my first choice as well. And it's a, it's an okay casting decision. There's quite a few okay casting decisions. Uh, Rosamund Pike, uh, we mentioned, is Lady Penelope. She's pretty good, would we say? Well, actually there, I may have to just stop you because... Rosamund Pike doesn't play Lady Penelope here. It's Sophie Miles. Sophia Miles. Sophie Miles? Oh. Oh, right. Yeah. I, thought, I thought it was Rosamund Pike. Wait. Huh. Yeah, Rosamund's Lady Lady P in Thunderbirds Argo. And Sophie Miles is Lady P in Thunderbirds 24, 2004. Did I just completely con- confuse two actors? Oh, my God. I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies I, to Sophie Miles and Rosamund Pike. I wondered what you were talking about when you said she was also Lady Penelope in The Thunderbirds we shan't mention until later. I thought, have I seen that Thunderbirds? Hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm going to look. I'm Sophie Miles. Oh. Sophie, I am Googling this right now, people. Hold she on. was in She was in Doctor Who. She, she was, was in The Girl in Fire. She was Madame de Pompadour in That's Doctor her. Who. Uh, she's been in a couple of other things. That's mm. her, and now Rosemond Pike, <laughs> Pike, who's been in, uh, she was in Die Another Day, and good things. They look so similar, they look almost exactly the same. Mm. I don't think I can be blamed for thinking this. I'm, oh God. <laughs> oh. I've not destroyed your ego again, have I? I think you might have. I think I destroyed my own. <laughs> I hoisted by my own petard, ladies and gentlemen. It's finally happened. Uh, I do apologize. So Sophie uh-oh. Miles is pretty anyway, good yeah. casting. Yeah, I like her. And Ron Cook's... I think it's Ron Cook. Ron Cook's Parker. I, th- I th- that's... That's that. He's, he, I think he was in Hot Fuzz, wasn't he? So he was in Doctor Who as well. Oh, right. Oh, well, there you go then. Uh, can't remember. So, and of course we have... Um, Bill Paxton as Jeff Tracy wouldn't be my first choice, but not a bad one. No, same. But I think he plays a good Jeff Tracy. He's a lot warmer in his portrayal than I think the original. Yeah, he's much more fatherly, much more like more loving in a way. Yeah, and he does get he out out of all the Tracys aside from Alan, he does get a fair bit of time and development. Yeah, and... he does. Yeah. As which I uh, they could have left that out. I'm glad they didn't. It's good that they kept that. Although he does go out with the Thunderbirds a lot, which I suppose makes sense. But then he didn't in the original. If you'd have ever seen it, freaks, fuck you. <laughs> Speaking of the Thunderbirds, um, where are they? Where are they? Yeah, because I didn't see them in this movie. I saw a lot of vehicles that looked slightly similar to the Thunderbirds. I did oh. not see the actual fucking Thunderbirds. Oh. This is the only Thunderbirds film to have all five Thunderbirds flying around doing awesome Thunderbirdy stuff. Yeah, but could I mean, for fuck's sake, you know how they look. You don't even have to update <laughs> them. You just need to recreate them, essentially. And you couldn't even fucking do that. We don't want to see a new version of fucking Thunderbird 1. We want to see fucking Thunderbird 1. This is not difficult, freaks. What is your damage? <laughs> ah. oh. Oh, I, did, I do like the new... Well, say new. I did like Thunderbirds 1 and 4. 
saying the new the Thunderbird 2 in this version does look a bit like flat, like someone squashed it. Yeah, I mean, uh, there is one redesign which I will forgive because it happened for legal reasons. Uh, Lady Penelope has this iconic Rolls Royce, a pink Rolls Royce called Fab One. Mm-hmm. And Rolls Royce didn't uh, give this new movie the, sort of the rights to use a Rolls Royce or a Rolls Royce design in the movie. So they yeah. had to redesign it. And I'm not saying I like the new design. I don't. I think it looks stupid. But <laughs> I I don't blame the first because what were they going to do? They couldn't use the original Rolls Royce, so they had yeah. to change it. So at least that makes sense. Yeah. That they redesigned Fab One. Yeah, although although it fucking flies. Do you remember Fab One flying? No. It did go on water, though. Well, there you go, then. I can believe that. Although that <laughs> happened, I think. Oh, gee, oh, God. There's so many things that just make me want to clench my teeth and rage. So, what's the Hood's plan? Well, in the original, as we said, he wanted to steal the secrets and designs of Thunderbird so he could sell them for money. What does he want to do? Here, he wants to steal them so he can rob the Bank of England. Ha! Huh. You, you have all these vehicles and a whole island full of technological equipment that the designs alone of which would net you billions and you could sell to whoever you want and make good as amount of money and you want to use them to s- rob a bank. Pretty much. I think also there was a little bit of a deeper meaning behind the hood one to steal the Thunderbirds for that as well. Oh, yes. In this one, because, as you say, yeah? Yeah, it's established that um, he, he and Kurano were trapped in this mountain mountain disaster or something. I think like a and mine Kurano, or something. Yeah. And Kurano was rescued, but the hood wasn't. And he always kind of took that, like, used that against international rescue. He always sort of thought, how dare you not rescue me in a way. And this was this whole plan of Robin Bank was kind of like his revenge on international rescue. I feel like they could have used a flashback for that or something. He basically just pops him and says, you once should have rescued me, but you didn't. So yeah. I hate you. I mean, like, I, I'm sure they tried. Jeez. <laughs> they can rescue Kurana. I'm sure they would have rescued you if you, like, waved your hands about or something. Yeah, they, st- Let them know you're there. Yeah, they still don't uh, They still don't explain where he got his powers from. Although they, they sort of give it a throwaway <laughs> line, like, uh, you may have broken my body, but you have no idea how powerful my mind has become. Although this leads to a very interesting thing, which I still don't know how I feel about it, but I kind of like, I kind of don't. He has all these mind powers, so we can use, like, telepathy and telekinesis and all these sorts of things. But so can Tintin. Yeah. Which, that was never in the original series. That was never in the original series, but it sort of makes sense. And yet, yeah. it depends whether, is this an inherited power? Or is this something you can learn? Something, a skill that you can, like, do? And, I don't know. I thought I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, but I can't really see it having a place in Thunderbirds, if that makes sense. Yeah, it was just sort of coming out of nowhere. Uh, I don't think Tintin uses it actually that often. No, she used it like, was it just just the once? I think it, in the movie? if it's not once, then twice. Yeah, it wasn't very often. Yeah, she like lifts a spider off of a uh, Alan Tracy's shoulder while they're traipsing through the jungle. It's yeah, yeah, pretty goddamn. But. <laughs> God, I mean, it doesn't help that Alan is so insufferable. Like, I know he's a kid, and he's a bit reckless, and he's got a lot to learn and stuff. But, I, I mean, <laughs> shut the fuck up, you little twerp. 
Like, all you need to, you need to like, establish a connection to the number five. Because, like, basically, what happens is the hood, it's like, tricks um, all the Thunderbirds guys, all of them. They all pile into Thunderbird 3, except for Alan. Go up to Thunderbird 5. One guy would do. Maybe two at most. But they mm. all go up to Thunderbird 5 for some reason. Then Hood, like, hits him with a missile. So they're all trapped up in Thunderbird 5. Oh, no. So it's just Alan, Brains, and Lady Penelope, and Tintin, and fucking Fermat to save the day. <laughs> oh, our heroes have come. Oh. And, uh, and it's sort of like a race against the clock thing to try and get them down and stuff. So it's just, it's down to Alan and his three buddies. And it's, <laughs> I mean, jeez, fucking jeez. <laughs> I I think I can see veins in your head starting to pop. It's It actually <laughs> infuriates me. I'm, oh. uh, so if you, I understand you need to give your character a development. You need to give him a growth. He needs to prove himself. But can you do it without making him an unlikable little jackass? Could you do that, please, for me, movie? Can you do that, Frakes? Fuck's sake, you directed a good couple of movies in your time. In fact, this killed his career as a director. I don't think he's directed anything after this. I was going to say, did he ever do anything after Thunderbirds? I don't know. I know he did a movie right before it. I think it was called Clock Stoppers. Uh, it was about a kid who gets a watch who can stop time. I don't know. But uh, after this, uh, it was such a backlash against him, and he basically went on record saying, "This uh, because of Thunderbirds, I don't think I'll ever be able to direct a movie again." So I don't know. I mean, if he has directed something, I haven't seen it, I haven't heard of it, and I don't care because I will never watch anything by him ever again. You bastard! But I'm getting there. Because the mains, I, I've got a lot of anger about this, as I think that may have come across. I think so too. Yeah, but the main reason is how they treated Jerry Anderson. Oh, yeah. Yeah, think of... Yeah. Stuff went on behind the scenes. I, I, I'm trying, just trying to remember exactly what happened. Correct me if I get this wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. They approached Jerry Anderson, saying, would you like to consult, to be a creative consultant for this movie? And I think he said yes. And then they sort of ignored him for some reason. And every time he tried to contact them or give them ideas and stuff, they sort of ignored him. And basically... And then I think they sort of backed out of it and said, actually, no, we don't want you as a creative consultant anymore. And then he went to see the movie and shock of all shocks, he didn't really like it that much. <laughs> Although weirdly, they did bring in Sylvia as a creative consultant and she gave the movie the thumbs up. Huh. Yeah, she liked the movie. In I mean, wow. I don't it seems weird that they wouldn't bring both of them on. I, I know. I mean, I know. What seems weird is they contact him and then they don't bring him on. If you don't want to consult with the original creators, I mean, you should, but fine. But don't contact them and then ignore them. That's just yeah. pointless. It's just a dick move. It was a complete and utterly dick move. And, and then they it's a dick movie. <laughs> then I think they tried to rub salt into the wound by offering Jerry, like, something like 20 or 200,000 quid to go along to the premiere and say what a great movie it was. And Jerry turned it off and down. Damn right he did, because the man's got integrity! Hell yeah! <laughs> and... It's just... I would love to know why Sylvia liked the movie, though. Because I think in a quote she said, she said something like, I loved seeing the characters that I brought to life, like, brought to life even more on screen. And that kind of makes sense, I think. She did the original dog... voice for Lady Penelope, and so seeing that character, especially up on screen... Yeah. 
Played by Sophia but, Miles. Sophia Miles. Yes. But beyond that also, um, throughout, um, I think from Stingray onwards, she was like, her role was a much more producer level type role. She was like in charge of character creation, character development. So where Jerry would come up with like the concept of the show, the bare bones of it, as it were, she would come up with like the characters and their personalities to bring them together. Hmm. So maybe like she liked the movie, maybe because just it was nice to see the characters that she envisioned come to life as puppets now come to life as proper humans. Yeah, I mean that 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 seems like a, f- a fair assumption, but yeah, mm. yeah. So uh, uh, speaking of things like Stingray, let's we've we've gone over the worst. Let's talk about some of the other things they did. Now I'm not familiar with a lot of this stuff. There was Stingray. There was, I think, something called Fireball. Fireball XL5. Oh, XL5. Oh, I'm sorry. So let's let's talk about a couple of things. So let's you tell us your thoughts about these other shows. Well, there's a trio of shows before Thunderbirds. There was Supercar, Fireball, Fireball XL5, and Stingray. Supercar. I think a lot of people look to that one as like, um, this was the first really sort of proper sci-fi puppet show that Jerry produced. But it wasn't his first puppet show, nor was it the first one to use, like, super marionation techniques. He did these really early puppet shows called The Adventures of Twizzle and Torture the Battery Boy with this children's author, this Roberta Lee, Roberta Lee I think her name was. Um, she came to Jerry and his team very early on in their careers saying, look, I have all these scripts for this new TV show waiting for you. They've got to be made. Can you crack on with them? And Jerry and his team said, yeah, let's do it, because they were desperate for work at that point. And it was only after they said yes that they found out that it was a kid's show and they had to film it using puppets. And Jerry's own quotes in an interview he did years and years later were, I nearly vomited on the floor when I heard this. Um, wow. But they, because they, he really didn't want to work with puppets. He wanted to make like big motion pictures. Hence all his, a lot of his shows have like, huge cinematic feel to them because that was what he's wanted but so they cracked on with these two little kid shows and they were i guess they were they proved successful enough to like put their foot in the door then after that they made their own show which was the, the first original one they did was a this really lovely fantasy western called four feather falls which told the story of this all-american cowboy called tex tucker who's the sheriff of this town which i think it's called four feather falls hence the name um, Try saying that five these... times fast. Four, 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 four. I know. <laughs> and he has these four magic feathers, which were given to him by this um, tribal Indian chief for rescuing his son out in the desert. And two of these feathers allow his dog and his horse to talk. And these other two feathers allow his guns to operate like on their own, single handedly. Oh, geez. No, but that was a really nice way of trying to like, because obviously when we think of great Western movies, like Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Butch and Sundance, we think Logan. of like... Uh, <laughs> yes. We think of like the shootout scene where the characters quickly draw their gun, shoot each other, boom, yeah. boom. You can't do that with a puppet. You can't achieve that quickness. Hence, thanks to these feathers, the puppeteers could just raise the guns up in these holsters, which are on strings, and fire them that way. So it was an attempt to just make puppets a bit more human. It was kind of testing the water to see which genre worked best with puppets. Hence, later on, after Four Feather Falls, they made Supercar, which they found very early on that, well, obviously Supercar, that when you stick your cap- puppet character inside, like, this either a sci-fi rocket, submarine, spaceship, whatever, and have that vehicle 
flying around all over the place, it gives the illusion of the characters moving very quickly. There's a lot of fast action, which you can't get with a puppet, naturally, because they just can't walk convincingly. So along came Supercar, which was a show all about this little group of men, no females, because this was 1960, 1961, I think. And of course, female characters in the kids show. Ooh, the idea. No. Um, and obviously, from the name of this vehicle, it was a machine that could that could travel on land, it could go in the sky, could go into space, go into water. So they would have all these adventures saving people. It was it was kind of like Famous Five meets Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Oh my! In a way, that's kind of how I like to see it. Um, it was a very sort of of its time and a very crude sort of primitive version of later Anderson shows that would come later on, like Thunderbirds and Scarlet, that would refine the concept of heroes in sci-fi vehicles saving the world. So that was Supercar. Was actually a pretty what I've seen. This is an okay show, solid enough show, good enough stuff as it were um then after that came firewall xl5 which was an outer space team show which Ooh. told the stories of the world space patrol's leads um spacecraft fireball xl5 piloted by all-american square jawed hero steve zodiac his... of course of course of course the hero is steve zodiac, zodiac. You know, the guy in Supercar, actually, I forgot to mention, was called Mike Mercury. Of course he was as well. Steve Zodiac <laughs> and Mike Mercury, square-drawn, butch American people who get women pregnant just by looking at them. Gee. And that, I don't remember seeing that episode of Fireball. I don't remember that one. But he had a, a doctor sidekick called Dr. Venus, who, good God, was the first regular female character in a Jerry Anderson sci-fi puppet joke. God, this is huge. Um, but being the first regular female she was often the subject of some pretty dire sexist quips, which they wouldn't have thought of at all when they first made this show, because that was that was just how it was our way in the guess back then. Yeah. Nowadays, when you watch Fireball back, it sticks out like a sore thumb. God. Yeah, thankfully, they, they made it much more progressive in later shows with Thunderbirds and Captain Sky yeah. and things like that. But I mean, yeah. uh, uh, gee, a woman doctor? What next? A woman driver? Jeez. It's... Exactly. It goes on like that. But there's also another nutty professor character called Professor Matt Matic, I think his name was. And Matt Matic. Yeah, try saying that one four times fast. I gotta do it. (laughs) And lastly, a robot sidekick called Robert the Robot, voiced by Jerry Jerry himself. Robert the Robot. Do people just exhaust all the R names that you use for robots and had to go back to... It started with Robbie <laughs> the Robot. Then they go like, Ricardo and Roberto and all this other sort of thing. And now we're back to Robert, I guess. Exactly. Wasn't much thought in his name, I think. Um, but yeah, the show followed the adventures of this crew of Fireball, XL5. Which they sounds like an ominous down. name to give to a, a, a ship that's flying through space. Just because you don't name something Fireball, because that might be what it turns into. Jeez, it's like naming a boat the waterlogged. <laughs> but it's a cool name. It's such a cool name, though, Scott. It's a cool name. All right, fine. <laughs> they go around having adventures, defending the world from evil alien invaders. Um, and that was that was pretty much Fireball. That was a, it was a very surface-level show, mm. and yet... Quite, quite good fun. Very sci-fi. Very sort of pulpy, retro, 1950s B-movie type feel to it. It's good fun once you get past all the sexist yeah. clips. If you can stomach um, that. Uh... I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. But then fortunately, 
along comes Stingray. Stingray. I think I'm, if I had to choose one, one Superman Nation show, I think I'd choose Stingray as my favorite. Really? Oh. It has a, it's got a warmth and a humor to it, a very natural warmth and humor that a lot of other Superman Nation shows don't seem to have. Very often, it feels less like a sci-fi show, more like a kind of sitcom that's underwater. Okay. We have a very family-esque setup of square-jawed hero Troy Tempest, who pilots the massive Stingray submarine with his sidekick Phones, who is kind of like, <laughs> not so much dumb, but like a bit dim-witted compared to Troy. Then you have the grumpy, grouchy Commander Shaw, his daughter at Atlanta, of course, because it's a water-themed show, so we've got to have female names like named after like watery things. Yeah. Um, you have the silent marina, who is kind of like... No like one, one expects the... the silent marina! <laughs> She's kind of like the female, uh, one of the daughters of, of the setup, really. Um, and you have the bumbling Fisher, Lieutenant Fisher, who we never saw much of, but was kind of like the comic relief, one of the many comic reliefs. It just felt like a very strong family setup. You have your parental figure in Commander Shaw, then you have the rest of the characters. So I, I think that's going to be my favourite. Hmm, well, anyway, I've Sting never Sting seen it, but honestly, based on that, I might give it a go. I'll just have a get. I'll look it up. Yeah. And have, a, have a look, see if that's any good. Essentially, it's essentially it's kind of like Fireball, but set underwater. It tells the adventures of the World Aquanaut Security Patrol, and they have this fleet of submarines who, well, supposedly fleet of submarines who defend the underwater world from evil alien invaders, and their lead craft is Stingray. And the crew of Stingray go around having all these adventures, battling the evil and very camp, wonderfully camp Titan, who wants to rule all the underwater seas and eventually the Turanian worlds as well. Ooh, okay. It's, it's a very, it's, it is very camp, but as I say, it's got a lot of winning performances from the cast, very strong and diverse group of characters, lots of lovely, act, fantastic action, well-written scripts. It's just really solid on all levels, I think. And then after Sting after Stingray came Thunderbirds. Thunderbirds and the legend was cemented. Yeah. yeah uh, I think we've got come across a, a pretty comprehensive coverage. But there's one other thing we want to talk about. Um, you're doing something Captain Scarlet related, aren't you? Am I? God. That's thanks for reminding me. <laughs> Almost forgot. Yes, I am writing a book. He's writing Celebrate. a book, ladies and gentlemen. Celebrating Captain Scarlet, hopefully in time for its 50th anniversary later this year. Yeah, so what's it called? It's called Spectrum is Indestructible. But Captain Scarlet isn't because that's not what being indestructible is. We've covered this. <laughs> but Spectrum is indestructible. That's a cool title. Spectrum is indestructible. I like it. Thank you. Uh, so when, when can we hope to see that? When can we hope to read well, it? Um, I think I may mean to get the book finished by november december time that's when i hope that's when i hope to have it just in time for christmas oh exactly yeah that's when i hope uh, hopefully have it finished and out to you guys as well um it's slowly but surely coming together um i don't think we're gonna make late september which was when uh well which will be when scarlet turns 50 i think we're just gonna hit after that but the aim is for late 2017 Cool. So um, I'm looking forward to that. And all of you capers should be too. It's going to be a lot of fun. Remember to pick that up. We'll remind you when the time comes. Thank you. Oh, it's coming out just quickly. It's coming out from Chinbeard Books. 
From... I should probably give a shout out to my publisher. Yes, that's <laughs> probably a good idea, just in case you want to know. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Right, so, well, thank you very much, Fred, for joining us. Then we're going to wrap it up there. Thank you very much for joining me. Not a problem. Thank you for having me. It's been, it's been a lot of fun, I should say. Now, it has. as always, you can listen to the show on iTunes, Popin, or a place to hang your cape.com. That's www.ap2hyc.com forward slash podcapers. Please subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever your favorite podcast app is. We want to make sure you get us every single week. And if you do want to leave a rating review, please do. We want to get your feedback, hear what you think, unless you disagree with me, in which case, fuck off. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we want to know the bad stuff as well and of course if you like the show please share it on all the social media you can find us on facebook twitter and instagram using at ap2hyc and using the hashtag podcapers so thank you very much for joining us capers this has been podcapers the official podcast of a place to hang your cape cue the music I was just saying, I can't think where my Tracy Island's gone. Might be up in the loft. I, I think mine must be up in my parents' loft as well. Uh, you know, it's sad. I'm 24, and my thought just then was like, I should go home and get it. What am I going to do with it? Oh, re recreate the opening I, of Thunderbirds. I don't, I don't need to go home. I, I don't need to go home. I have a desk surrounded by Transformers, by super-sized Thunderbirds, and I've got another Tracy Island to my right. I've got my Thunderbird one bookcase to my left. I'm sorted. I have a sonic screwdriver. <laughs> oh, I, I don't have that. Yeah, it's classic as you well. Win. Classic. I've got classic oh, oh. and I've got Tenendera. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> just, just buy my laptop just in case. Just in case I ever need to fix anything with a sonic screwdriver.